Could you successfully answer the challenge to prove from the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is great? And that's really a very simple challenge, a very easy challenge to meet. In the very first verse of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is identified as the Christ, the Son of God. That proclaims his greatness. When Jesus does his first miracle in the synagogue, where he casts a demon out of a man who is present at the synagogue, it argues and proves and shows that he indeed is great. And then there was that evening, a very busy evening in the life of Christ, when people flocked to the house where he was. And at that house, they brought many ill individuals and they brought many demon-possessed individuals. And the scripture says that Jesus healed them all and he cast out all of the demons. That argues for how great the Lord Jesus Christ is. And if that was not enough, in that very first chapter of Mark, Jesus heals a leper, an outcast, and all he simply does is touches him and commands him to be healed, and the leprosy leaves that leopard. Strong arguments for how great the Lord Jesus Christ is. And that's just chapter one of the Gospel of Mark. We could go on and on. But it's not necessary. Mark argues for the fact that Jesus Christ indeed is great. Whether you look at his name, whether you look at his person, whether you look at his deeds, they all proclaim how great Jesus Christ is. It's easy possibly to overlook some passages and maybe even the passage that we will look at today where Jesus is mocked. Many people might come to this passage and not see the greatness of Jesus Christ. They might see Jesus Christ as powerless, as a wimp, as one who's not able to put the mockers in their place. Because Jesus doesn't do one thing. He doesn't lift one finger to change what is taking place in his life. The subject of our passage today is the mocking of Jesus. And the mocking of Jesus did not take him by surprise. All the way back in Mark chapter 10, verses 33 and 34, Jesus predicted that the event in our passage would take place. Let me read those two verses for you. Mark 10, verses 33 and 34. He told his disciples, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will deliver him to the Gentiles. And here it is, and they will mock him 
and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. Jesus said that all the way back in Mark chapter 10. So the events of our passage are not shocking to him at all. He predicted it would happen and it comes to pass. And really, when you look at the gospel of Mark, the first time that Jesus is mocked is when he stands trial before the religious leaders, before uh, the high priests in the Sanhedrin. Once they condemn him to death, they mocked him. They scourged him. They blindfolded him and told him and commanded him, prophesy. Tell us who hit you. And they were hitting him in the face. The last time that Jesus will be mocked will be later on in this chapter. It's when Jesus is hanging on the cross. And he will be mocked by the chief priests and the elders, the scribes, the religious leaders. And they will laugh at him. They will make fun of him as he is experiencing the horrific death by means of crucifixion. But the passage that is the literal fulfillment of what Jesus said in Mark 10 verses 32 and 33 is the one before us. Where Jesus is mocked by the Gentiles. But when you look at this passage and you look at Jesus' response to the mocking, it shouts out, it proclaims that Jesus is great. Don't miss that as we go through these verses. Mark is letting us know that the one who is laughed at, the one who is mocked, the one who is made fun of, is truly great and awesome and mighty. There's three things that I want you to see with regards to the mocking of Jesus. First of all, the landscape for the mocking of Jesus. That is the setting, the scenery, the stage for when the Lord Jesus Christ is mocked. We read in verse 16 that the soldiers took him away. And in general, uh, the soldiers are Gentiles, but in particular, they're Roman soldiers. At this point in time, the Lord Jesus Christ has just finished standing trial before Pontius Pilate. And Pilate did his best, so to speak, to get Jesus off the hook and tried to get him free, but he was unsuccessful. He bowed down to the wishes of the people. And the people, when Jesus asked, who do you want me to release to you? The people said, we want Barabbas and not the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Pilate gave in and he released to the people Barabbas. And when it came to Jesus, he had Jesus scourged. He had Jesus flogged. He had Jesus whipped with a pieces of leather that had built into it iron 
metal, and broken bones. And they used that leather whip on the back of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't know how many times they whipped him on the back. From a Roman perspective, there was no limitation. But they whipped him, they flogged him, they scourged him. If we had been there, we would have seen that the flesh of his back had been ripped open. That parts of it were missing. That he was bleeding. And after Jesus was scourged, Pilate gave Jesus over to the soldiers to be crucified. The Mark tells us that the soldiers took him away. What's interesting in our verses, and it's easy to miss, is that Jesus' name is not mentioned once in verses 16 through 20. Every time Jesus is mentioned by a pronoun, him or his. But we don't find the name of Jesus mentioned at all. When these soldiers took Jesus away, they took him to the palace. That is the praetorium. And this palace was the temporary residence of the one that Jesus just stood in front of, Pontius Pilate. He didn't actually live there. He was probably staying in the quarters of Herod. But they took Jesus away to the palace. And the palace was made up of buildings, also made up of a courtyard. And they took Jesus into the palace. And that's where the mocking took place. But Mark wants us to know more than just the location of the mocking. He, he wants us to know the audience of the mocking. At the end of verse 16, we read that they, the soldiers, called together the whole praetorium cohort. So this mocking, this spectacle of making fun of Jesus, this laughing of Jesus, was not just for a select few, but it was for the whole Roman cohort. A cohort was 600 soldiers. Now, we don't know if all 600 were there, but at minimum, it was at least 200 soldiers. So here, before these Roman soldiers, who really didn't have anything to do with Jesus, they didn't necessarily have anything against Jesus. It was the Jewish leaders, the religious people who hated Jesus. But here, these Roman soldiers are going to have a little fun. They're going to make fun of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to mock him. They're going to taunt him. They're going to humiliate him. And here is our Lord in the palace with an audience of all of these soldiers. And he's the center of attention. And this is the setting. This is the landscape for the mocking of Jesus. 
In verses 17 through 19, I want you to notice the drama of the mocking of Jesus. Mark goes out of his way to dramatize this event. He wants to make sure that the readers don't just kind of fly through it. This is like the high point, so to speak. And he wants all eyes to pay attention to what is happening to the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he writes it in such a way that he doesn't talk about what happened in the past, but what is happening. It's like Jesus is being mocked right before our eyes. And he talks about things repeatedly happen. It's as if we're watching TV and it's got our attention. So Mark is not just summarizing Jesus being mocked like he does in verse 20. In verse 20, he's going to write that they had mocked Jesus. And that's just taking everything that happened to Jesus and saying this is what happened. He was mocked. But no, Mark doesn't do that. Mark wants you, Mark wants me to slow down and, and to see what happens to our Lord during this event. He's very graphic. He's very detailed. He, he's plastering it before our eyes. And even though as readers today, it happened a long time ago, he presents it as if it's happening right now, that we're seeing it live. He's dramatizing this event. He wants us to slow down and take note of it. There is a mock coronation in verse 17. The text says they dressed him that is Jesus up in purple. The soldiers clothed him. The implication is they took off his garments that he had been wearing. And now as he's in the midst of all of these soldiers, they take that garment off and they clothe him with a purple cloak or purple robe. Purple was a sign of royalty, majesty. They know what they're doing. They're acting like they're putting royal garments upon him. The garments fit for one who is a king. The garments fit for one who is royalty. So they put the purple garment on him. I need to pause and tell you how much your church secretary loves you. Talking about Beverly Price. You look at your bulletin, you'll see a picture of Jesus being mocked. And when you look at that picture, the picture that she originally got, Jesus was wearing a scarlet robe a reddish robe. And she took the time to draw in and make sure that it was purple because she loves you. She wants you to see it the way that Mark presented it. Because Mark says it's purple. 
Matthew says it was scarlet-like. And so somehow, some way, it's between purple and reddish uh, color. But it was a sign of royalty that they put on this kingly garment. And after they clothed him, they, they crowned him. They crowned him. The text says, after weaving a crown of thorn, they put it on him. He's a king. His clothes testify to that. But he needs a crown. And so they don't have a real crown. They make their own crown. They take branches from a bush that has thorns on it. And they weave it into a crown. And then they put that crown on his head. If you've ever been around thorn bushes or thorns, you know how they prick your skin and your finger. And so you can imagine a crown of thorns being placed down on his head, producing blood for sure, but also producing pain. They crowned him with a thorn with a crown made out of thorns. There's one other thing that they did, but Mark doesn't mention it, but Matthew does in Matthew 27. He mentions the fact that they gave him a scepter, a a, a rod, stick, which is what a king would have as he sat on the throne. So the coronation of Jesus consisted of a kingly robe, a kingly crown, and a kingly scepter. The coronation leads to the mock salutation that's in verse 18. The one who is crowned as king is now greeted as king. The one who is saluted is saluted as one who is a king. They had dressed him as a king, and now they're going to address him as a king. And the words that come out of their mouths is, Hail, King of the Jews. And oh, how they must have laughed and sneered and mocked him. King, King of the Jews. Look at him. He doesn't have a robe that fits the king. He doesn't have a crown that fits the king. He doesn't even have a scepter that fits a king. But here he is, and they're mocking him, and they're laughing at him, and they're saluting him, they're greeting him. Saying, hell, king of the Jews. Jesus never referred to himself as king of the Jews. We saw last Sunday that Pilate did on several occasions. And now, here they are, mocking the Lord. 
looking at him. This unimpressive man. This man who's been whipped and beat. This man who's made up in a, to look like a king. And they just laugh at him. They just mock him. They continually greet him. Not once, not twice. But continually say, King of the Jews. Then, if that was not enough, they have the mock coronation and the mock salutation. There's the mock worship. And if I could change my outline, I would change it to the mock prostration. The mock prostration. Three different ongoing activities are pointed out by Mark. First of all, Mark tells us that they kept beating his head with a reed. They kept on doing that with a reed. That very reed that Mark didn't tell us about, but Matthew said was put in the hand of Jesus. They took that reed and beat him over the head with it. Continually, they kept beating his head. And don't forget, on his head was the crown of thorns. And so each time they would hit him on the head, that would put more pressure on his head from the crown of thorns. And so the blood would continue running down his face. They continually beat him on the head. The second activity that they did, they kept spitting at him. And we've seen this before. And I pointed out to you, this is has to be one of the most degrading things that one human being could do to another human being. You want to start a fight? You want to make somebody upset? Try going up to an individual and spitting in their face. But here they are, not one spit, but this is all of these soldiers being involved, beating him over the head by means of a reed. And and now what are they doing? They're spitting in his face. They're targeting his face with, with their saliva. And there's no other gruesome and gross act than, than that. Did they have someone show their disdain? To show their hatred by spitting upon the individual. And then there was one more thing that they did. They kept placing their knee on the ground. And as they placed their knee on the ground, they would worship, so to speak, this king that they were beating over the head with the reed. This king who they were spitting in his face. They would mock him by acting like they were giving him reverence 
and respect worthy of a king. Bowing the knees before him over and over and over again, pretending that they were worshiping him, that they were adoring him, that they loved him. This was their mock prostration, their mock worship. This is the horrific and humiliating drama of the mocking of Jesus. The irony of all of this is that these soldiers who did it in a way that they were faking it and pretending one day if they never turn from their sins, will do it openly as an acknowledgement of who Jesus is. According to Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, the time is coming that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They might think they're making a spectacle of Jesus. They might think they're laughing at Jesus. They might think they're getting away with spitting at him and hitting him over the head and pretending that he is Lord. But the reality of the matter is, the day is coming in the future, Paul said, that every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess. There'll be universal homage that Jesus Christ is Lord. Those of us who are Christians, our salvation, we've already bowed the knee. We've already acknowledged that we are sinners by nature and by choice, that we're lost without Christ. We already acknowledge that he is Lord and that apart from him, there is no salvation. So we bow the knee in recognition that he truly is the king of our life. But there are others who have not done that. And possibly it could be you. Maybe you have not bowed the knee. Maybe you are willing to mock Jesus and laugh at Jesus. And you're not impressed with him as king. I want to tell you that if you don't bow the knee now, if you don't bow the knee before you die, you will bow the knee in the future as you spend a lost eternity in the lake of fire, separated from God. Jesus Christ ultimately gets all the glory and the praise and the honor. The last thing that I want you to note from our passage in verse 20 is the sequel to the mocking of Jesus. Mark just simply summarizes 
what has taken place in verses 17 through 19. He says, they had mocked him. What an understatement. What an understatement. If we slow down, if we realize, if we picture, if we visualize what has happened through verses 17 through 19, to just simply say they mocked him is an understatement. They coronated him. They saluted him. They fell down before him. Mark wants us to know that the mocking has taken place. And after the mocking took place, the soldiers took the purple off him and put his garments on him. That's all that they did. The kingly robe that they dressed him with, they took off. It's interesting, Mark didn't say a word about the crown. And it could very well be that as they take Jesus to the cross, that he's still wearing the crown. They had the decency to clothe him with his garments. Even though on the cross, they're going to take those garments off and divide it among the soldiers. But they took off the kingly robe and they put on his human garments. And then they did one more thing. They led him out to crucify him. After scourging him, after mocking him, if that was not enough to humiliate the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, they take the most drastic step, and that is to crucify Jesus. You might have thought what happened when they mocked Jesus was horrific. But there's nothing that is more horrific than the Jesus being crucified. Crucifixion at that time was the worst kind of death that a human being could experience. I mean, even today we think about death sometimes. And we say, oh, I don't want to die in a fire. I don't want to die in being drowned. Or we might think of some other horrific way of dying. Well, when individuals thought about death in Jesus' day, the, the one way that individuals did not want to die by, the one means was by crucifixion. It was the worst possible death. And here is our Lord after being flogged, after being mocked, it ends with him being led to the cross to be put to death. 
Isn't it interesting? Out of all the ways that God could have chosen for his son to die, he chose that his son would die on a cross. The worst kind of death. Crucifixion. That's going to be the means by which salvation is provided for you and for me. The mocking of Jesus by these Roman soldiers is one of the ways in the Gospel of Mark that proves that Jesus is not a wimp. Proves that he's not powerless. It, it proves that he, he he's not some milk toast individual. It, it proves his greatness. And, and may you and I never ever forget that. That when we read these words, may we never ever come away with the fact that we think that somehow it doesn't prove the greatness of Jesus Christ. From we these verses. From this passage, we learn that Jesus is a great encouragement to not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus Christ, from this passage, observing his mocking, is a great encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. Don't grow weary. Don't grow tired. Don't throw in the towel. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Uh, these aren't my words. These are the words of the writer of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, when he talks about running the race with our eyes fixed on Jesus, he says in Hebrews 12, 3, for consider him, that is, consider Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. That's what happened when they mocked him. Hostility from depraved sinners. People who didn't even know him, so to speak. People whom Jesus did nothing at all against. But our Lord, as he's being mocked, he's enduring hostility by sinners against himself. And the writer of Hebrews says, consider him. Meditate on him. Don't fly through these verses so you can get to the cross. No, consider him who has endured such hostility. Why? So that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Very, 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 very unlikely that you ever are going to be mocked like the Lord Jesus Christ. Very, very unlikely. You might want to look at your hardship at your job or your hardship in your family or in some relationship, and it's real. But consider Jesus who endured hostility by the hands of sinners. And having considered him, don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. When it looks like things just aren't going well, 
when it looks like maybe the church ain't growing but dying. When, when it looks like nobody comes to your Sunday school class or to your Bible study or whatever the case might be. When, when you're tempted to grow weary and throw in the towel, consider Jesus and endure. Be faithful to the end. He is a great encouragement to not grow weary and lose heart. But also he's a great savior. He's a great savior. When we read these verses, we must avoid the temptation to think that Jesus is soft, that he's powerless, that he's nothing but a wimp, that he can't do anything about his circumstances. No, we need to read the mocking of Jesus in light of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. Peter, writing about Jesus Christ, how we need to follow in his footsteps, says, while being reviled, talking about Jesus, about re- being reviled by be- while mocking, while being mocked and laughed at, And made a spectacle of while being reviled. He, Jesus, did not revile in return. It was not a tit for tat relationship. While suffering. While they beat him over the head as he wore a crown of thorns repeatedly. While they spat upon him. While they pretended to worship him, while suffering, he uttered no threats. No threats. But what did he do? He kept entrusting himself to God who judges righteously. That's how Jesus handled his mocking. He didn't retaliate. He didn't get back at them, even though he, he could have done so much righteously. But instead, he kept entrusting himself with every blow on the head with the reed, with every spit that landed on his face, with every time they bowed down pretending to worship him, What did he do? He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And if you're not familiar with the context of 1 Peter 2.23, the very next verse is, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. This is pointing to the mocking of Jesus and is reminding us of the great Savior that we have. Because just one sin would have disqualified him as your substitute and my substitute. Just one word, one sinful word would have disqualified himself. But instead, what he kept doing, he kept entrusting himself to one who judges righteously. So that when 
He is crucified. He's crucified as a great Savior that can provide salvation for many men and women, boys and girls. Because He Himself bore our sins on the tree. What a great encouragement and a great Savior we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we stand amazed at our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, he is great beyond all comprehension. He's not just great because he's the Christ, the Son of God. He's not just great because he's able to heal illnesses and cast out demons and tell demons to shut up and come out. He's not just great, Father, because he's able to steal the sea and say hush to it. But he's even great when we see him being mocked by sinful men. Thank you that in Jesus Christ we have a great encourager. He encourages us to endure and not grow weary as we seek to live our lives for you, Lord. We don't know what the future holds for us. We don't know what we will encounter. But help us not to grow weary. Help us not to grow thrown the towel. Help us to contemplate and meditate on our Lord Jesus Christ, who endured to the very end when he was crucified on the cross. Thank you, Father, that he is such a great Savior. Tempted by Satan in the wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights. But here, tempted by Satan through the sinfulness of human beings. Laughed at, spat upon, mocked, beaten. And yet, Lord, he didn't sin at all. He didn't sin in word. He didn't sin in thought. He didn't sin indeed. And because he didn't, he's our great Savior. He's our sufficient Savior. He's the one who's able to pay the penalty for our sins and to bear our sins in his body so that we can have eternal life. Father, for those of us who are redeemed, for those of us who have bowed the knee, May our love for the Lord Jesus Christ grow more and more in light of all that he has done for us. And Father, for those who have not bowed the knee, may today be the day of salvation. May the day today be the day in which their eyes are opened, the blinders are removed, and they see Christ for who he is and for what he has done. May today be the day of salvation for them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.